Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. I was spending all of my time, energy, and devotion of my attention to fixing myself. That's overwhelming. I don't need to be fixed. I used to steal when I was younger. I don't steal today. If you're constantly shunning who you were, I'll never be a thief again. You'll never look at what you revealed to yourself. If I say, I'll never be able to be called fat again. I'll never look at the supernatural gift. Girl, you can shape shift. You can become whatever you want. You originally That's so powerful. Like you originally used the superpower to harm yourself. But what if you use this superpower to heal yourself? It's a mega shift. What a massive shift that is. To shape shift. To know that if you put it on for protection, which is really the pathology of for almost everyone, mm -hmm. that you can actually decide to take it off. Allison Bird, it is my great honor to have you back on the podcast, so welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Last time we did this was via video during the pandemic, <laughs> and uh, to be able to be in person and our friendship relationship have grown so much since mm -hmm. the reintroduction that we had. And I told people the first time we recorded, and if you didn't listen to it, the episode is church. It's amazing. Everyone Episode number 111. Of course. I remember when you pointed that out. I'm like, of course yours is 111. And how serendipitously you were brought in my life before I ever created anything, any blog, any anything, and then brought back into my life later to be a guest on my podcast. It was such a full circle moment. So this is another circle. And uh, I'm just excited to chat today. I'm excited to be with you because I've watched you become over the years, grow over the years. I've watched you uh, be single and be dating, uh, leaving career, stepping into calling, uh, step into marriage, now fatherhood, uh, really expand your platform to touch, move, inspire, and impact the globe versus only humans who look like you, talk like you, think like you, and walk like you. You are such a human that's committed to the diversity of your knowing, of your education, of your awakening. And that makes you magical to be around. So I'm more than honored to be here and we're going to have fun. 
Um, we're gonna have we only ever really have fun, and so for you listening, we're gonna bring joy, but levity to things that I think are often, you know, when we experience our suffering, we're either like I'm either gonna be in suffering or be in joy, but we don't really know how to walk that edge. That some of life stuff is just like laughably fucked up. You Absolutely. Know? Like you can't help but be like, oh, universe, you delivered me that. <laughs> uh, I think of about the greatest transformations I've ever experienced. And I joke often that they didn't come delivered in my favorite meal or delivered in the softest. They're usually the hardest mm. things. And last time we spoke, we talked about tolerating things that are not in alignment. And I want to speak a little to that, um, to to how we step towards, which I think all of us are constantly on a mission of unfolding, like, what is our purpose? How do, why am I here? And so if we could solve the question, why are we here? That would be the end of that human conundrum. Um, but yeah, I'm curious when people even think about a word as big as purpose, where do they even begin? Hmm. Well, the first thing that I would say to everyone listening is that a lot of purpose, majority of purpose, has been explained through the patriarchal lens. Patriarchy is directly connected to work and work establishing your worth. Where we are today is we're seeing society receive, if you will, the dissolve of the patriarchal lens, which means work is dissolving, which means worth is being esteemed. Mm. Why are we in a great cultural resignation? We're seeing people resign from careers they don't enjoy, marriages they don't enjoy, lifestyles that no longer work for them, because humans are really starting to tap into what gives me sensation of worth. Why are we even seeking that? We are the birthplace of worth, but we've been disconnected from it. So when people ask me, what is our purpose? It is to become the highest authority of your own life. Mm. But for most of us, what is governing us, and actually, let me bring it to me. Yeah. What was governing me was my blackness. You're black. You're supposed to be this way. Well, now I can't choose how I want to be black. I'll break the code of blackness. I'll get yeah. my black card pulled. <laughs> <laughs> You're a woman. You're cisgender. You have to be this way. You always have to respond this way. You're single. You're wanting to receive a man. You need to be giggling and hair tossing all the damn time if that's what you want. Those kinds of parameters strip me from my authentic expression of who I want to be. Maybe I don't want to sing Usher as a black woman. Maybe I want to sing Bon Jovi. Maybe I want to sing both. But to bring that out into society in the past, we saw that as a separation from the culture or the collective of who you are. Uh, Gay Hendrix calls it the crime of outshining. Mm. And that's what happens to a lot of us is we won't be ourselves because we fear it will separate us from the others that are in our tribe. And we fear that means we won't be connected. We won't belong, which is the highest human need. So that's really purpose. Will you be the governor 
of your thought process? Will you be the leader of your actions, your thoughts, um, or will you allow it to be subjected to stereotypes, to demonstrations that you've already seen? And that's where we find ourselves living outside of purpose. How do we even begin to enter that dissolution? Because that sounds like a dissolution. Yeah. Yeah. Where I like to start my clients is uh, a really fun exercise. Think that you want to share your truth, whatever your truth is. Maybe you're a mom and you want to share something about what it's like to live as a mom. Maybe you have a new liberated practice around motherhood. So think that you had a living room full of people. Think of the three people that if they were in that living room, there's no way you would say your truth, dead or alive. Those three people have governance over you. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's and a good place to start. there's a lot of start. people in that. Yeah. It feels like that would be... I'm like thinking about the room, and I'm like, huh, I know who I would put there, but I know that I would still say it, but I know there'd be reluctance. You know, th- there's for sure been many times in the most recent time in my life that I would put three people in a room and and not say anything and and owning that idea that they have governance over my own expression. And the irony is they probably aren't even thinking about my expression. Isn't that crazy that the idea of their response is actually more powerful than me even giving them the chance to respond, which might not be how I want. If I know three people are in a room and I'm like, shit, I, they govern over me? How do you reclaim that? That's a great question. The first thing is accept it. Just accept it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening and you're like, I'm on team, don't like, can we unlike this? (laughs) It's very easy to want to rebuke what is about yourself. To get defensive about Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And so for me, an example was my mother. When my mother was on this side of heaven and I began to, she ascended for anyone who is new to my story. Uh, she ascended, passed away, died, uh, in 2015. However, when she was on this side of heaven, for my mother to know the type of revenue that my company created wasn't the most healthy uh, because my mother grew up on not enough, raised us on not enough. So the moment that she saw any surplus of income, it meant I need it. I want it. Let's spend it. Let's find something to consume. So when I started in sales and sales was uh, highly reliant at that time on what I was selling and the numbers, I felt very uncomfortable to go to a premium price, you know, to charge 10,000 plus to work with me if my mother was sitting in the audience and listening to the pitch. If she could count, oh, 10 people walked up, that's a hundred thousand dollars. How many, you spoke three times this month. Did you make $300,000 in your company this month? I felt restricted. And quite honestly, I didn't accelerate my pricing into premium pricing until her ascension. Wow. So the governance that she had over your ability to charge what you were being called to charge. Yeah. Wow. There's a book that was recently written that came out that went I mean, it hit New York Times real quick and it was called, I'm happy my mom's dead. Yes. Yeah. And yes, I've she seen talks it. about that, like the control that that had over her. I mean, she didn't write the book till her mother passed. Yeah. 
why do you think we wait? Like, why did you wait? Like, what do you think the resistance would have been? The the desire to belong invites us to answer the question, where do I fit? And that's really why we don't necessarily want to disrupt, why we don't want to tell our story. My story had so many connection points to other people who weren't processing and alchemizing at the speed in which I was. So when I tell a story from my lens of alchemy and they're sitting in the audience, then I feel conflated and stressed by that. I think a lot of us want to tell a story that's fair. Yeah, that's true. And all parts of our story haven't been fair. My dad left my life when I was four, last time I saw him. I was 12, last time I spoke to him. I'm 46 today. It used to govern me, that abandonment. It ruled over me. Abandonment had a seat in those three. So now it's my mother's relationship with lack. Now abandonment takes a seat. That's not a person, but it is an emotion that had authority over me. You're leavable. You're unlovable. You're unlikable. And so that energetic stripped me of certain courage and confidence. Now I'm putting people pleasing and placating into my offering. Please don't leave me. Please don't not love me. Please don't tell me my work isn't good either. That's a lot of pressure. And that then can put a cap. I know it did for me. It put a cap on the caliber of client I was willing to receive, uh, the contribution I was willing to give, and the cash flow that I was willing to accept from the cosmos for the offerings that I was putting out into the world. I then made that strategic problems, but they weren't strategic problems. Mm -hmm. They were problems with my significance. So at the baseline of what was showing up strategically or in the outcomes you were getting was actually a deep-seated belief or governance that was occurring unconsciously that was holding you back from fully owning, stepping in. And I think about that from a relational perspective too, right? Like how if we're afraid of being left, we can never fully stay. We can never fully open. And so it prevents us from we think prevents us from ever experiencing abandonment, but we actually are living in abandonment. It's a, that is always such a mind fuck to me. You know what I mean? It's like the very thing we're creating, a, a fearing is the very thing we create. Yes. And then we look at the circumstances of our life and we blame the ghoster. We blame the cheater. We blame the person who leaves us, which don't get me wrong. There's accountability, of course, not minimizing that. But there's still a external expression of an internal process. I always think of like the betrayals I've experienced in my life. I can always, 100% of the time, trace back self-betrayal first. And you only end up in those external betrayals because of self-betrayal much earlier. And I think when we can own that level of radical responsibility, which you're talking about, this, this level of like, that has governance over me. I think about how many people don't want to share what they might truly feel about something because they want it to be expressed in a way that no one will be reactive. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, man, you could be a master of language and never possibly ever get all the words right to accommodate everyone's experience and circumstances. But I think about that, like what would have a seat at the table then and has had a seat at my table that I don't like thinking about is the, uh, the imaginary troll on the internet like not even a real i mean a real person maybe a bot actually it might not even be a real person <laughs> actually wild 
Like for every trauma wound you have, there is a bot for that. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like, it's like perfectly designed by the universe. It like codes what words you use. They send it in and your wound is like, ah, oh, I guess I got to stop. So w- at what point do people change? Like how do I go from being governed externally versus, I love how you were saying that if the structure of patriarchy, not men, but the structure of patriarchy, I think that often gets confused. It does get confused a lot, yeah. Yeah, so in the structure of patriarchy, that you're rewarded for work, mm-hmm. but now we're so, we're creating worth. Mm-hmm. So we got worth from work, and now we're creating worth from self. Mm-hmm. So how do I go from... Because we're likely living in that pivot or in the space between. How do how i'm so excited to answer yeah how <laughs> i'm like yeah 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 <laughs> this is really fun this is where grace comes in because this is where we recognize wait a minute what i've been considering a deficit is actually my destiny see when i melted into abandonment over rebuked it to rebuke something is to shun it to create shame to exile it. So if I rebuke the part of me that was abandoned, well, that's a lot of Allison. What I want to do is withdraw the sting. And now I want to understand why did abandonment come to me so early in my reality? It met me at four. Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, then I get to take time and I get to unpack when I take the sting out and don't make it about me, but make it about my destiny. Abandonment came to me at four. Let me take a look at where abandonment meets other people along the road. Well, now suddenly I am incredibly qualified to talk to majority of the world. Because humans are always asking three critical questions. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And does what I say matter? Those are all questions of sticking around. Will you stick? Well, the fact that I had to learn how to stick without demonstration, or I had to seek demonstration beyond my normal village, or another way to say that is I had to find other sources of demonstration and lose the anger that it wasn't my father. Tell me more about that. Those are all ways to alchemically process what has occurred in my life. So when you said, how do we change it? The first change has to be that you need to change it. The first change is all things work for me. So if I was abandoned, abandoned is for my destiny. When I withdraw the sting that my dad left, my dad left me, then I get to go, oh, abandonment is here and it helps me be stronger today. How does it help me be stronger? Well, because I know what it's like to be left. I work with entrepreneurial leaders that are building six, seven, eight, and nine figure organizations. What is a great fear of entrepreneurship? I will be exiled. I won't belong. I won't fit. I get to work with entrepreneurial leaders to dissolve those energetics of I'll be abandoned when I speak my truth to power, when I write a book that has my truth to power. Hell, when I just write a blog on it 
and the fears that come with that, which are significant fears in a society that is primarily digital now more than it is in person engagement and interactions. That's a really potent tool that Source gave me and gave me over 40 years of practicing with it. That's that's an interesting perspective <laughs> that you've been playing with the material for 40 years. 40 years. And like a kid would play with Play-Doh or like a Lego and build and think, we kind of lose, as you're saying, like we identify with the abandonment and then we can't play with the material. Mm -hmm. And there's a very real humanness to that. Like a little kid who's like, my dad left. Well, my dad left either because he is dysfunctional or I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And kids always, almost always choose the latter. Yeah, They can't understand my dad's you know, got an addiction or whatever. Might Not be. at all. Right. Once I started playing with abandonment, yeah. for instance, and melting into it, I like to call it melting, just softening into, oh, I was abandoned. Oh, I was so abandoned. I was so abandoned. Well, let's take a look at that. I was raised with aunts, uncles, cousins, my sister. Uh, my mother was deeply present. Uh, my grandparents. So my dad did leave. That is true. Now let's just let that be true. Mm -hmm. Well, now let's take a look at the years. I was born in 1977. Um, four years later would have been 1981. Let's take a look at 1981. The average household, the average black household in North America was under $15,000 for, for the year. For income? Mm-hmm. The ratio of black men going to prison versus being free, where do you think was higher? Which means it was prison, yeah. <laughs> which means fear was intense, which means I can just think, what was my father feeling? This wasn't about a four-year-old little girl. This was about him and his own shaving away of his destiny, his perception. I imagine that he didn't necessarily think he had a lot to offer. That changes things. Mm -hmm. Now, someone can say, well, you're just making up a story for him. Well, I make it up that he wanted to leave me. He right. never told me that. <laughs> right. You made that up. You might as well make up a good one. That might as well make good. up a good one. So I started to look up the history. I started to look up the numbers. I started to pull the stinger out that life doesn't work for me, that I was born to be abandoned, unlovable, therefore a failure. It doesn't make sense that I would be this naturally gifted, this physically beautiful, this gifted to be charismatic and connecting, and then God, divinity, cosmos, however we want to acknowledge it is like, yeah, you should just sit in suffering and hate yourself all the time. Right, right. Here's some drugs, here's some alcohol, here's yeah. something to help you soothe that you're seeing it happens to you, not for you. Mm -hmm. That's such a change. I remember listening to Carolyn Mace where she said that the one of the greatest forms of suffering is the belief that uh, you you deserved a better childhood than the one you had. So there's this mystical alternate reality where there's a perfect childhood. And then this, she said, where she sees people don't get their soul back is from the belief that that person came into my life to hurt me. And she's like, but you don't know that that's not the perfect recipe to create exactly what you needed to do in this lifetime. And I, 
there's a, a shift that needs to occur somatically, like psychically, everything, where all of a sudden you go from being a victim of these experiences. And I think somehow we don't know how till we do. We don't know how to hold both pain of the abandonment that's real and that it's serving us. Like it almost feels like a disservice to that. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. If you're like me, you're probably feeling a mixture of excitement for the possibilities in the new year, but also feeling a little exhausted from the busy bustle of the holiday season. Now, each year we look forward to taking time off, but honestly, that time off is often spent in catch-up mode, as more than half of us are just exhausted and in some form of recovery. Our nervous systems can be taxed by interactions with family and friends, travel, cooking, shopping, wrapping, losing the consistency of our daily schedules, and so many other reasons as we step into the new year. Now, the problem is that when we're focused on relaxing, we're doing it by zoning out with our phones, social media, streaming, and other things. And I'm not making those things wrong, but it doesn't really help us relax. We just think it does. There's a better way, though, to bounce back and get the energy that we're looking for to start a brand new year and a brand new vibe. And for me, I've been regulating my nervous system in just five minutes every day with a breathwork practice on open. When I incorporated a breathwork practice into my daily routine, I could tell that my nervous system was more regulated and I am better adept at handling anything that comes my way. Now, we all need breathwork in our lives. Breathwork studies show that simple, quick breathing exercises can help us realign ourselves faster than meditation alone. For me, I've been regulating my nervous system in just 10 minutes every day. And this is why Open is your best friend. I've been doing their 10-minute breathwork practice called Bounce Back. I've been able to kick back into gear and feel the energy I felt before the holiday season started. This practice helps me get into a resilient and ready state of being by elevating my energy, increasing my lung capacity, and allowing me to focus on releasing the things that are weighing me down. I feel lighter, more energetic, I have less anxiety and stress, and Open has a ton of these awesome practices you could choose from based on the time that you have and what you want to dive into. They're quick and easy ways to get back into a state of nervous system regulation. So give your nervous system the best chance to truly be new year, new you. It's a great resolution that is actually really easy to stick to. Get 30 days free by visiting withopen.com slash create the love. Again, that's 30 days free by visiting withopen.com slash create the love. I think we've got to look at all the P's. There's always pain. Pain is often the conduit and the catalyst into purpose. Why? Because it's the th three-dimensional realm. There's so much conditioning for pain. Now, in the new earth model, we're going from pleasure into purpose. And what they would call it in the Christian faith is glory to glory. Pleasure to pleasure. Pleasure leads you to play, to passion, to deeper sensations of purpose. As long as pain is your conduit and your catalyst, then you're always going to return to pain as your fuel for your creativity, for your imaginal activities. You're going to be looking for where can I be hurt next to give me that thing. Mm -hmm. But if you can turn it around and give yourself permission to tap into pleasure and learn pleasure, I'm currently learning it. I'm teaching myself right now to laugh 10 seconds longer. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Ha>, <laughs> <laughs> and like, keep it going because I lived under so much stress building my business. I lost my ability to laugh. And instead I would just go, huh, huh, that's funny. I would announce that it. it was funny, but mm. I couldn't laugh. 
now that I've really tapped back into my body, I have found that my laugh comes, but it's untrained and it's afraid of being judged. What if I laugh in a way that somebody looks at me and goes, okay, that was weird. So now I've really been practicing. Ah, ha, ha, like, how weird can I sound? And does it effing matter? It doesn't. Uh-huh. I want to be so undeniably, unapologetically joyous to be myself that I never think another day that unaliving myself is the best idea. Unaliving myself. I've Uh had too many days where that thought descends onto the shelf of choices for me. And I'm like, huh, maybe I should. I don't want that anymore. That governance, right? It's like, I like that word because it's like we are being externally manipulated, which makes it sound like we're a victim of the external, which I don't want to embrace that because it's not true. It's like we're choosing to participate in these unspoken, often agreements. And we're not getting, what did you say, alive? Like we're not experiencing the aliveness, like unalive. Mm -hmm. Like think about how, if you're listening, watching, like how many days have you not let yourself be fully alive? And I, I think of all the people in jobs, in relationships who have turned down their light in order to keep their poop in a group to like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Poop in a group. Right. Hashtag poop in a group in your comment about this uh, episode. It's like, to me, there's that is the norm. That's that, that tends to be. It's like if I come fully alive, tall poppy syndrome. Uh, this idea that if I get too bright, Gay Hendricks, uh, you were saying his statement. Yep. And it's like I might melt away all these things. I'll lose them. But it's like if joy burns something down, yes. like that just means more joy is going to come from it. Although it's like you can feel brought alive by, let's say, leaving a job, but then your world is. Not it feels like it's not brought alive because now there's chaos mm-hmm. and there's loss and there's grief, but we don't see that it's actually working for us to produce more of a regularity of joy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it was you know Kurt Cobain actually who taught me this principle. Damn. And I was in meditation one day and I kept feeling these, these sensations and I started, uh, writing it down. And those of you that are listening that are healers and mystics and, uh, you practice your psychic ability or your clairvoyance, you'll know what this experience is like. I was in meditation and I just start hearing this dialogue around unaliving and I started hearing they're unalive. They're unalive. And I said, who? And I started writing down these pockets of people that are walking around alive in their bodies, but unalive in their souls. And I said, who are you? He said, my name is Kurt. So what's your last name? Cobain. I had to Google it. I never listened to Nirvana in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. I I had no idea. I was like, uh. It was white music. Yeah. (laughs) About as white as you could get. What's a Nirvana song that I Uh, might Teen Spirit was the album, I think. Oh my God, their Unplugged album on MTV is so good. Is it? Um, Smells Like Teen Spirit was, I believe, their most... Was like a hit. Their biggest. Was that before the deodorant came out? I don't know, Was actually. it like because of them I, that the deodorant came been. out? I actually never looked up why it's titled that. <laughs> uh, but that whole album, it's like a baby floating in water, a mm-hmm. naked baby, I think. It was, it was like a prolific album. 
That's interesting. I, I don't know. I never really, I haven't listened to him in so long. I'll have to go back and look. But the energies came forward for me and it was one of the most beautiful experiences because I asked, do you have anyone else that wants to speak up about this? And he said, yes. And he brought me Kate Spade. Oh, wow. Who committed suicide mm -hmm. uh, four years ago? Right before the pandemic, I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you who may not know who Kate Spade is, she created a gorgeous handbag uh, company that became accessories. And she found this really great middle of the road lane from like a Louis Vuitton, uh, a Tom Ford level brand, and maybe something that's, you know, an everyday, like a Donna Karen or something like that. And uh, she found this great middle of the road, then she sold it. And then the company went on to sell for more. And there were a myriad of things that came through, but she chose to unalive herself. Pressure. What we are recognizing is that work dissolves any energetics of worth. It just does. How does work, what nature of work or what characteristics of work would be that type of work? When you do something that causes you to erase yourself to do it mm. yeah i feel like i'm just coming out of that mm -hmm. which is ironic because that transition where it was actually i left a self-erasure experience of being at one point being a farmer rep was like yeah this is amazing i can't yeah. believe i get paid to do this this yeah. is unbelievable and then it was like ooh, i don't want to get paid to do this i want to get paid to do something else yeah. and then i came alive and stepped into authentic expression. And then, I mean, I know you've witnessed this whole journey. You're part of it. Um, but then who knew that the thing that brought me alive would eventually be the thing that required self-erasure? Yeah. And that that was hard for me to negotiate in my head that mm -hmm. like the thing that I thought was going to be the future destiny intention had to be this. It was like universe soul was like it's not that anymore it's something like that mm -hmm. and it has to do with that but it's more than that and i'm like wait what but it had to fatigue you because you were fatiguing the pattern of being a martyr so that was really what came with you you liberated yourself and packed a bag of your old shit and brought it with you which we all do yeah that um pattern of abandonment that you've been playing with for 40 years i was playing with martyrdom, victimization, I'm not chosen, I, no one chooses me, no one picks me, I'm not lovable. It got amplified through that whole journey where you build up this thing and celebrate it, right? Like what a perfect thing. I think of uh, uh, Carolyn May said, if, I, if you're afraid of being abandoned and I was your angel, I'd have you fall in love with someone who told you they're going to stay forever and they'll leave you after three months. Mm. And I thought, ah, oh, like what a thing to be feeling like you're in purpose to feel so alive in that and then be gifted another direction that will you actually answer that? Oh, you still have some things to process. But it's always those prolific moments where someone delivers you a universal, uh, for me, kick to the soul nuts. And it was you who did that. We were sitting in a coaching session and you said to me, this is why I love you. This is why, by the way, everybody, you should always keep people around you that tell you the truth no matter what. Like the kind of truth that liberates you but shakes you. Like the kind that's not like, oh, I'm here to coddle your feelings. It's like, no, I'm here to actually mirror to you where you're stuck. And you said to me, oh, you have a, <laughs> you have quite a bit of martyr energy in there. 
And I was, I remember immediately, I was like, I do. Like it was, (laughs) because all of a sudden, all the dominoes made sense and all the plays made sense and all the ways I was orienting to my story made sense. And I could have been like, oh, no, I'm good. But I knew that you were gifting me a reflection that was actually for my highest good. And I remember experiencing that. And you said that, um, and I've shared it on the podcast in a solo episode, but you said to me that martyrdom is a siphon for abundance because you can't actually be in abundance and be a victim. Like it's impossible. And I was like, wow, that is, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And And here's the thing, you can have money. You just won't feel like it's enough. Because the martyrdom is siphoning away your vision, your your ability to actually see the abundance that's all around you. And then you'll start to redefine abundance based on what's absent versus what's present. Mm, and that's that same narrow field. I don't have the love. They didn't choose me. They're, and we're seeing it in that saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the lack, not the what you got. Yes. Which is that same move from my work defines my worth to I am my worth. Yes. The rest is, you know, icing on the cake. Absolutely. And what I love about what we're saying, what we're unpacking is you and I are both telling stories about walking on our path of greatness, which we are on and have been on for decade on decade on decade. And I want everyone to listen and notice at no point have we said we were perfect. Both of us have left corporate. Both of us have launched programs, products, services. Uh, Both of us have Um, donated to charities. Both of us have mounted on stages with uh, 10 people in the audience, 100 people in the audience, 1,000 people in the audience. Go for it. The both of us have worked with some of the greatest in our society, and we are imperfect. That's the piece that I want everyone to really get as they're listening to this, that what Mark and I are sharing with you is about you using the tools of liberation to support you, not to perfect you. Because when you are reconciled to your perfection, you will no longer be in this realm. This realm is dedicated to the imperfect. Mm. Yeah, and by embracing your imperfection, you're embracing your power, your unit, your uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So when we go from that dissolution from work to worth, you mentioned before we hit record this idea that um, story, like story, I, if I understood you correctly, kind of feels like story is the currency of the future. And transfers to currency. So can you maybe speak more to that? First of all, I love the way that you said that. I'm totally going to own it. It's yours. And I like how Les Brown says that when your friend quotes something, you say, oh, you know, my friend Mark Groves said this amazing thing. And then the second time you say it, you say, oh, my friend says this really great thing. And then by the third time you say, you know, like I always say. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So good. I'm currently studying the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not studying the Bible itself. 
I'm actually studying who King James was. Like not James, uh, what's his name? The basketball player. They no, not James. LeBron, not yeah, King not LeBron. James. Yeah, 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 good distinction. And I was like, wait, <laughs> everybody, like, did he write a book? He probably did. <laughs> I, I don't think he has he yet. I don't think so. Well, it'll be a bestseller. We already know that. We already know. However, the most popular version of the Bible is the King James version. Who is King James? No clue. Really interesting when you study why he brought the Bible out into the world. What story was he trying to tell? Well, it was a political disruption, and he wanted to stay in power. Oh, interesting. So Uh he brought the Bible out to have people, is it the intention to have people praise a thing? Well, after hiring 47 editors— Oh, well done. There you go. So shaping the narrative. <laughs> shaping the narrative so that the story could keep him in power. So that's the most popular version of... Most popular version. Is that the one that essentially people quote to other people? All the time. Those editors, they were good. They knew exactly yeah. where to... Sounds like... Uh, he had no idea that it would actually continue into society, that it would have this longevity that it has today, but it was designed to keep his family specifically in power. Isn't that crazy? Like I (laughs) I remember hearing, oh man, I forget who it was. (laughs) Uh, So what I always say is that the, the greatest trick the church ever pulled was to convince people that they were the broker to the relationship with God. Amen. And as a former Catholic, I really feel that. It was like, oh, I needed to go to church to have a relationship to God. I needed to have the right behavior that the priest agreed with. I needed to go um, apologize Mm -hmm. for human mistakes, and they needed to be witnessed and forgiven by this guy, Mm -hmm. the patriarchy, right? Like, talk about, like, there's someone who decides, but it's—and then they are—not only that— they charge me money and get donations so that I can have a relationship with God. And then they moralize all the behaviors that they desire, which is, I need to learn more about King James. So, uh, please. Well, what's really fun about what we're discussing, yeah. and for those of you that love the King James Version of the Bible, keep reading it. It has some good stuff in there. It's just edited heavily. And... The reason that I bring it up on the idea that we can all make a living with our story is because most of the stories that are told are the people that fund the story. He funded the printing. Printing wasn't even a thing yet. And so he funded the printing to make sure that it got out there. What most of us, Mm. (laughs) isn't that interesting? Well, you think of everything like, what is it? Six media companies are owned by few people and the media shares generally similar narratives. Mm. And what is that saying? He who owns the, uh, mm-hmm. the message, who he controls the message, controls the people. Yes. Something like that. That's like the OG version. That's the trailblazing, unfortunate, uh, unethical manipulation of people's psyche, but but governance. Governance. And I think what's even sadder about it is that for centuries, no one has known these kinds of truths. I didn't know that. I just didn't like it. Yeah. So then everyone's calling it the church, but majority of the church as we know it today is as ignorant as we are. Yeah. We are all newly acquiring new information to create new realities. Why our story is our greatest currency is because there's nothing else that will pay you your worth. 
Especially now that I'm a father, I know the importance of getting a good night of restful sleep. It is vital to feeling and being our best selves, especially when we've all got busy schedules. And I'm sure you do just like me. Now, taking care of ourselves by getting enough quality rest is the basis for everything, right? Everything in our lives and our day is going smoothly. And when we sleep poorly, our performance, our energy, our focus, our presence and productivity, they're all impacted. And we just can't afford to have those setbacks in our bodies and our minds. But with the Hatch Restore 2, it's actually easier to get a restful sleep, the one that you need, and to wake up feeling your best so you can be your best. The Hatch Restore 2 is an innovative dream machine. It's an all-in-one sound machine, it's a light and an alarm clock, and it was engineered to help form healthy sleep habits for life by using light and sound cues to teach your body when it's time to sleep and when it's time to rise. Now, before you go to sleep, you play the meditations and mindfulness exercises to create relaxing nighttime rituals, which does the body so much better than mindlessly scrolling until your eyes start closing, and we all know what I'm talking about. Then what happens is you sleep deeply with white, pink, and brown noise and other sleep sounds that are inspired by nature. Now finally, you wake up gently with a sunrise alarm clock, which uses light to gently and slowly wake you up instead of that loud, annoying alarm that sets you off, your nervous system goes into high alert, eh, eh, eh. you know what I'm talking about. The Hatch Restore 2 supports your natural circadian rhythm so you can feel more in tune with your body. And since I've started using the Hatch Restore 2, I've noticed that I wake up with more energy, in a better mood, I get a restful sleep, and I'm teaching my body to flow in a circadian rhythm that has not only helped me feel better physically from the restful sleep, but has allowed me to be more present with my family, more productive at work, and have a better workout at the gym. And I do want the same for you. Sleep deeply and wake gently with the Hatch Restore 2. Just go to hatch.co slash markgroves to get $20 off and free shipping on your purchase of the Hatch Restore 2. That's hatch.co slash markgroves. When I sit in a coaching session, and I'm not an inexpensive coach, you've hired me. Yeah. When I (laughs) Worth every penny. Amen. Thank you for that. When I sit in a session, I'm not thinking about what I charged the other person. I'm not thinking, I'm not looking at the time. As a matter of fact, my coaching is unlimited. So when you come and work with me, you can fly into Las Vegas and be with me. You can sit on session with me for six hours if you want. You probably don't want to, nor do you have the bandwidth, right? Um, But why? Because it doesn't feel like work to me. Every social construct that I have walked through, every expression of Allison Octavia Bird, every time I felt judged, criticized, compared myself, it's all usable. I understand when leaders come to me like my comment section is overwhelmed. I have literally fallen apart in my shower with my comment section like, how? How could it be? You know, Uh, how is this? uh, But you don't understand that if you didn't start in this industry 15 years ago like I did. If you didn't launch on MySpace, you don't understand the type of stress disorder that we've acquired over time by living online. To make a living with our story simply requires, will we allow humanity access to our energy? How do we purify our energy where they want access to that? Very simply, will you live an experience? Will you grow from it? And then will you contribute? Will you live an experience? 
Will you grow from it? And will you contribute? Mark, when I first felt this cosmic pull invite me to do this, I had no marketing background. I had worked for BlackBerry, was still working for BlackBerry as a trainer. So I trained uh, T-Mobile, Nextel. I mean, that tells you how long ago it was, right? Like <laughs> BBM, man, BBM. <laughs> Back in the day. BlackBerry was the original uh, colonizer of our mind. <laughs> They really were like, that was the first time email followed me. And I remember being like, what a gift. Yeah. Well, you got to know why he created it. Just a quick sidebar. He saw leaders tethered to their computers, not leaving their offices and missing life. He had an idea. I see the, the What if I could good. give this mission-centered person? So he had no idea, just like King James, that it would ripple into the future in the way that it has. Huge. It was really a high-level heart-centered intention. And I have always loved telling the BlackBerry story because it was so heart-centered. And it phased out, you know, very quickly because it was so heart-focused, I think. Ah, interesting. Like it couldn't continue because it, couldn't it was continue too hard focused. At what had occurred. Yeah, I think when the intention is more extraction mm-hmm. than in, instead of more connection. Mm-hmm. And I heard uh, on a podcast, Mark Zuckerberg talking about how like his core ethos is human connection. And I'm like, bro, maybe, but it's masquerading as a lot of other things. Like you might need to clean it up. I trust him for what he says. I trust everybody for what they say. Yeah, I mean, I think when it's when we can't unconsciously separate the constant need to extract money from people Mm -hmm. and not looking at the cost of psychological manipulation to Mm -hmm. do that. But then also, Mm -hmm. it is up to us to decide what governs us Mm -hmm. in that sense. So it's like, we're not a victim of it. Mm -hmm. Once we recognize it's got power over us. Mm -hmm. So as you're in this journey, being called, Mm -hmm. how do you I want to tell you what happened? What does the leap look like? Well, first of all, your initial leaps feel like they're massive and out of a plane, but I was really suiting up <laughs> so and going true. to the curb, you know, and jumping off the curb. <laughs> I'd put on my whole skydiving gear and go right out to the curb of my house like, oh, I'm ready to leap, God. I landed. I did it. Okay. What was the first leap then? The first leap that I got invited into, because I truly believe that when we start to make a living with our story, our life begins to unfold with magical ease for us. I had this daydream memory of my mother selling Tupperware. And what she would do is she would call up a friend. Hey, selling Tupperware. Will you gather the ladies? And they would gather them. They'd have charcuterie wasn't a thing at the time, right? So you just had a sausage and cheese tray with a fruit bowl on the side. (laughs) (laughs) And so they would gather and then they would sell the Tupperware. And then the host that was there would get a free Tupperware set. And then my mother would make a percentage. Mm. When I had this memory, I thought, huh. I didn't understand programming at the time that when humans are programmed to do something, they'll auto do it again. Mm -hmm. I just knew, well, that seems to make sense. So I called a couple of girlfriends and said, hey, would you be interested in gathering eight to 10 women? I'll teach and then I'll sell my coaching package. My coaching package was $695 at the time. Mark, I started selling an average of eight to 10 per weekend. Wow. Per weekend. So your T-Mobile salary or your BlackBerry salary, goodbye. 
yeah, blown up. It didn't require that I was a marketer. It didn't require that I knew uh, ad strategy. It didn't require that I had an assistant. It didn't require anything other than will you show up? Will you tell your story? Will that story have enough energy in it? And is that energy purified? Did you live the experiences, receive the growth by withdrawing the stinger? My dad left me. Well, if I'm standing in front of a room and everybody's feeling abandoned, they're like, oh, well, you feel abandoned with us. Mm. But if I stand in a room and I say, I have carried a perception that my father abandoned me for over two decades until. <laughs> and they're all like, they're like, oh, wait, what? yeah, what's until? Get, get, uh, what's until? Yeah, yeah. And what'd then, you do? What did you do? What what'd did you, you do? do? And then how do I do it for me? And how do I hold on to it? How do I stay a haver of that consciousness for myself? Oh, well, I can help you. And you can get it for this level of investment. That is what began to transform my reality. So now I feel like a big part of why I live to tell my story in this modern day is to show people I did it during a very unpopular season. And now that it's becoming more popular, how do we know? Well, we just went through the pandemic, turned everybody to their screens in my opinion, leveled the playing ground quite a bit for visibility. Mm -hmm. And you don't need hundreds of thousands of people to witness you. If you are able to co-create something that's a $500 fee, sell 10 of them a month by any way that you, you know, that you can with ethics and morals. I just saw a man on TikTok, autistic is how he identifies openly. He has a power washing business and teaches people how to have a power washing business and make $20,000 a month doing it in their local city. Brilliant. And he's saying, I have neuro and brain divergence. I have a uniqueness to the way my body is abled. I wasn't able to get a career for myself the way that I wanted. And so this is what I was guided to do. And it's working for me. And now I'm going to tell you my story. And anyone that's facing the same things, whether it's financial liberation, liberation in how you show up in the world, whatever it may be, follow my lead. Right. He's making a living with his story. And it seems like we all, I mean, the way that humans have learned is through story, is through sitting around the fire and the elders are sharing these parables and things that it's almost like we've, we've in this modern time, often eradicated that, that one globalization has made it so we've moved away often from our elders, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's especially true of like European community in Canada. Like, I mean, like white families, Italians tend to have multi-generational homes mm -hmm. and maybe different cultures. So I don't, I don't want to make it like true about that. But what I noticed when I was growing up is being around the families that were immigrants. I was like, damn, what's going on there? Like, that's amazing. And we had my grandma living next door. But what I really love in witnessing that is that you get this transcendence where the elder is still honored, respected. And in this moving away from maybe that, like where work is your worth and all that kind of stuff. It it also, that type of structure made it so that 
we weren't sitting around the fire because or around the dinner because dad at in that patriarchal stucker traditionally dad is working not home and and that really took us away from each other and now i feel like this dramatic call to come back together and break bread and to sit with difference to be together to hear these parables these stories that elders share with us and if we're rejecting aging or fearing aging then we won't listen to the wisdom that inherently comes not just from our own experience of aging but my god the beautiful people who have lived decades and decades who have so much to teach us and you know we kind of look at it like they're like you youngsters and now I the other day I found myself saying like young people did it I'm like Jesus I'm coming that I'm becoming exactly <laughs> that but I say all of that just in the exploration of the thought of like story teaches story inspires and if you can get paid to be in story a lot of the limitation that I had starting was that like that who am I who am I and I don't have the approved credential that society would give someone to give them permission to tell their story and I remember governance again and we keep coming back to that is like that was governing me and then when I finally was like fuck it I'm just going to like start and then people are like whoa your story that's inter- that's my story wait but you've walked through that oh my god I have so much shame how did you process the shame and it's like wow who knew I remember Gary Vaynerchuk saying like if you love smurfs smurf it up like start a blog about smurfs there's someone who wants to know about smurfs and as you said you don't need hundreds of thousands of people you just need some yeah and you got to like do you think i was going to say you got to put in some level of work like some level of hustle do you think you got to put in hustle as i said that i was like i did work i still work hard but now i'm like oh what's important like how much do i want to work how do i monetize that time mm-hmm. versus what i'm trading it what other experiences am i trading it for especially right. having a son now yeah so yeah what do you think that's all part of the journey you know you learn different ways to buy your time back you have no idea and you most of us want our story to be a perfect story we want a rags to riches but the way that life works is rags to riches rags 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 riches rags 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 riches 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 rags like it's not a straight line and i remember when i was going through a financial downturn in my success and it happened right when we had just bought a feature with Forbes so now Forbes is like Allison Bird multi-million dollar A and 1 and 2 and I'm like oh I'm not I'm not I'm a fraud stop it please don't publish it you know and and we had paid quite a bit of money for this kind of feature and I felt fraudulent and I melted into it how do i melt into something i dine with my darkness for anyone that's listening this is a great principle this is a great tool for you to take with you you take the thing that you're facing out to dinner you sit with it and i went out to dinner with my scarcity and suddenly i realized oh my god there were so many scarce thoughts that were still leading me even though i was leading a lot of money 
and I was unconsciously stacking cash out of fear that it would go away. I was unconsciously not honoring my promises. You know, the promises that you make of, oh God, one day when I have money, I'll do this. I'll impact water wells. I'll make an impact to local schools. I'll do this with my time. I, I wasn't honoring that. I'd, be, I'd become very fearful. And so as I sat there, I started writing Mark. That journal entry became a program that I wrote called Think Your Way Rich. As I was writing that program, I got an invitation from someone who said, would you be interested to speak on my stage? That stage had roughly 2,000 women that were going to be there. I stood on that stage, and in my final 20 minutes or so, I took five minutes to make an invitation for people who loved my story that I was sharing. I had just said the Gay Hendricks quote. It's been in my lexicon for quite some time. It's one of my favorites. I said, if you're no longer afraid of outshining, mm. I had to dissolve that fear, and you can too. I used my church background. I grew up as a Christian. I grew up in a first family, which means my family owned the church. There are two statues of black men that stand in San Antonio, Texas today. One is the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and the other is the late great, my great grandfather. Oh, wow. Reverend cool. Rufus Wilson. It's very cool. Great very name cool. Too. I know, right? Rufus. Rufus. Yeah, shit. <laughs> That's got power. You don't hear that one much, That's do you? That's a statue name. That's statue the kind of name, name you expect to see. And I stood on that stage and I created an altar call. Do you want to change? Do you want to create progress? Do you want more? And do you want it through liberation versus shame? Yeah. Right? And um, do you want it through flow over fear? 265 people walked up and said yes. And so you now were authentic to the article and to the Forbes. <laughs> what was the time from that downturn to the upturn? Like how long did it take you to learn what you were going through in that and then alchemize it into this program that you created? Because it's you got the call to speak and then mm -hmm. brought the program you wrote on, I a, did. on a napkin. I did. Just make that story romantic. <laughs> <laughs> but you like go on. And so what was the timing? It was, I would say, January, February to August. Um, and then August, when I started actually writing the program from those notes, I got the invitation. October, November. I must have gotten the the invitation in August because I started writing it as a reflection. So in August, I spoke September, October, somewhere around That's there. Amazing. I know. And then I facilitated it the next year, which then rooted me even more into my alchemy, into my alchemy with lack, with scarcity, with fear, my understanding of, oh, wait a minute. I see things differently because I was raised black. Oh, wait. I was raised in America. That's different. You teach 265 people from across the globe. You start to see the distinctions. And then I was also able to see the commonalities. I started to see that it's a global epidemic of lack, 
scarcity, fear, and not enoughness. It's a program that runs across the world. And it's not looking for are you white? Oh, I'm not coming for you. Right. You know, are 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 you straight? Oh, you're, you're bypassed. Fine. You're <laughs> fine. Yeah. You know, let me go for the black. Let me go for the immigrant. Let me go for the indigenous. Let me go for the trans. Let me attack them. No. It comes for all of us because it's asking us, do you know who you are? Do you care about what you want? Will you keep praying and not receiving? And will you keep making that okay? And will you live that way until you die? And will you reincarnate with that same fear and anger and resentment to prove to yourself what's up? That's really what we're living is, is those incarnations and that willingness to show up as something greater as ourselves. This lifetime, I chose black skin. I chose to be cisgender. I chose to be a woman. I chose to be an aunt versus a mother, you know, and I bring all of that karmic power to my path and to my story. And now it liberates people from across the world. It's pretty magical. When you look at that level of like it comes for everybody, right? It's a global narrative. Yeah. It is so easy to be consumed by that, especially today. Because before, you know, when there was no social media, I could look down the block and be like, mm, there's that drunk guy. You know, my mom is like this, my whatever. But depending on our immediate geographical reach, if we didn't have a car, you know, maybe you got horses or whatever. But you're like, your ability to see suffering wasn't as accessible as today, where the algorithm really is just like, you know what keeps people on here? Suffering. Yeah. So it's an interesting reframe to think of actually using that. And I was talking to a friend. <laughs> well, it's like, oh, wait, they're using it to keep you to monetize your attention. Why don't you use it to actually step into your story and change your life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> so if it's for me, which I was speaking to a friend the other day, um, a client, and I was working with her, and we were talking about how her desire to create more, she felt was a betrayal to the suffering of the world. And I was like, wait, you can acknowledge the suffering of the world and create. Like, there's not, it's not a binary. That's a trap. That's a trick. But imagine if actually what you create is in service of people exploring their suffering, not minimizing it, you know, because when people start to create or you start to desire something, there will always be the ability to say, but that's not fair. What about, what about, what about? Always. Right. Yeah. When I stepped into digital marketing, for anyone who is unaware, digital marketing, being a virtual CEO is becoming even more and more mainstream, yeah. right? To work from anywhere, to have that luxury of choice and to demonstrate being a chief executive officer in ways that we've not seen before uh, with fluidity, with flow, with ease. Uh, Tim Ferriss, you know, wrote what the four hour work week and um, we see the 12, uh, the 12 week year. There are so many things. Uh, you were just talking to me, uh, yesterday about, uh, buy your time back. What's that book? Oh, yeah. Uh, buy back your time. Buy back yeah. your time. Uh, you know, those kinds of things are, are coming out because they're showing us we get to show up as an, in a new way. Well, in digital marketing, it's like six to eight percent black. 
And I would see people over and over and over again fuss about the misrepresentation or the lack of representation of blackness online. And finally, one day I found myself plugging into that program. The challenge was by that time, so many of the people that everyone was disliking were my clients and I knew their hearts. So when I went to energetically plug in, I would have had a plug in against you. I would have had a plug in against, you know, others like, "Mm, well, wait, that awakened me to say, what if the very judgment that I'm witnessing and living and even experiencing, what if it's meant to be in service? What would I do with this judgment? I was like, hmm. Why does that judgment exist? Like, do I really believe that the people around me don't want to center blackness? Do I, do they know how to center blackness? This is how I created belongingwithlove.com because it helped me recognize, oh, we're at a pivotal time in, in history where we've never had this much range of information instantly accessible to us. We've never had this many leaders instantly in front of us. And quite frankly, for years, people had Martin Luther King to choose from. Mm -hmm. So true. Like there were a lot of other leaders, but mainstream, there was one leader that people could rely on, quote, and believe he was for peace. Like, okay, I can lock in on MLK. So now we've got to help society understand. But a lot of people want to use their energy to be angry, to be frustrated, to stay pointing the finger. And my invitation is... Take a look in the mirror because the only thing that we can ever see outside of ourselves is what we're seeing inside. So I knew that the fact that I was seeing this burn them down, some part of me felt like I needed to burn them down. Mm. What a redirection. (laughs) Right? And so let's take accountability for that. And why do you want to burn them down? Because they don't know what they don't know. So what if you give them something to know? And what if you do it with love? What a different invitation. Because of course, orienting to that, if you didn't grow up in a black community as a white person or whatever color we might be, that that's other than. Yes. You wouldn't, it's not get so blind to you. You know, I think a lot of the beautiful things that Black Lives Matter brought among so many, but it is in the awareness that you don't know what you don't know. And I, it started so many amazing conversations with my friends who are black, where we were like having these beautiful dialogues. They were telling me about their experiences. I had a lot of them on the podcast. And I, I remember the, one of the first podcast, the first podcast we did together after it, I was like, I just want to go to black church. Like, I just felt like I wanted to be in a sea because when you speak, I feel like I'm at church. When you said I used my Christian uh, background, I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel when I was at the first ever personal growth program with you and Lisa Nichols, I was just like, am I in the South? Like, <laughs> am I at your grand, great grandfather's yes. church? Like it felt very, I felt so inspired by that. And I grew up in Canada and I, yeah, I grew up around black people, but there is such a lower black population where I yeah. grew up. Yeah. And so when I started to get into this work and go to international conferences and I'm like, there's so much joy here. There's so much, uh, anyways, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I appreciate the, when you come into conversation from the place of not 
there's a lack of, but how do we actually engage in curiosity? Because of course, my thought would not be like, I don't want to center a black person on yeah. whatever the avenue is. It's more like, oh, how do I, how do I help support this? What does that look like? And I think that so many people, there are three things that, that really lasso the mind, like rip it back into dense reality. And those three things are comparison, criticism, and judgment. And so what I noticed, and I love this, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks to us a lot about patterns. And I started flipping the patterns a little bit. Because I started going, well, wait a minute, if we have a habit of certain things, what if we stop trying to break the habit and use the habit? Mm. So I had a conversation with my unseen team, also known as Cosmic Power, Angels, Guides, Universe, however you want to say it. Kurt. What's up, Kurt? <laughs> Kurt. And um, he helped me out a lot. And I said, what if I start noticing what I judge? Will you help me flip it? What if I start noticing what I criticize? Will you help me flip it? So I noticed, for instance, that I would criticize, I'm 46, and I would criticize my my arm chunkiness, right? Oh, I don't like my arms. Uh, do I really want to wake up every day and keep criticizing my arms? Or do I want to learn a new style of yoga that strengthens my arms and expands my muscle mass? It's very simple. Mm -hmm. It's like, Huh. I really don't want to keep beating myself up. And so I really will do these wall yoga practices that strengthen my arms. Will I compare myself? You know, someone looking at me today, a 220 pound woman, like, oh, man, she needs to lose weight. But they don't know when I was 345 pounds. Yeah. They judge my breakthrough without knowing my been through. Mm. And that's not fair. And sometimes I would bring the critical eyes external of me, the eyes that don't know what I've been through. So because of that, I couldn't celebrate my breakthroughs. Mm. So I was forever panting. Yeah, because they never changed. Yeah, they, yeah. And the finish line just kept moving huh. because it wasn't a line that I put in front of me based on my own knowing, knowledge of my historical context of the fact that I lived in food scarcity. So when food came, I would eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it. The fact that I was touched at a time when I did not want to be touched, I became unsafe in my body. So I learned that I had a superpower of shape-shifting, and I built a 100, a 200-pound body around myself by the time I was 14 years old to protect myself yeah. because it says, don't touch me. If you don't like a chunky body, you probably won't touch me. That feels safer. So when I look at those layers of consciousness, I stopped trying to be positive all the time. It was exhausting. Right. And I, it's such bullshit. It, 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 I just couldn't. Yeah. But I was highly critical and I was highly judgmental and I was good at comparing. So I just started using it. Where do I compare myself? That's how I discovered, ooh, whoever I'm comparing myself to, that's actually my three-dimensional template and tutor for who's showing uh, me the way. Yeah. Who, Whatever lens I'm like criticizing. Like what I desire. Yeah, like what I desire. Why shame it, move towards it. Yeah. 
Interesting. I like that redirection. Yeah. Whatever I'm criticizing, what's the gap? What is the gap that I'm noticing? Oh, now I can see the gap. What have I done already to try to fill that gap? Is it working? Is it not working? Let's play with it. What am I judging? Ooh, that probably means I'm the answer. Mahatma Gandhi taught us that yeah. with be the change you wish to see. If you look at that statement, it is inherently judgment, right? Be the change you wish you could see, which means I looked at something, I saw the deficit, I judged it, and now I'm going to be the gap stander for that. It's a game changer. Yeah, and I think in a world that shames that pain that you would experience from the wish, right? Like, mm -hmm. as you said, if I, oh, well, now I'm chasing, let's say, that thing. But actually, if you can be with the space that's between yourself currently and that distance, mm -hmm. and then you ask yourself, well, what behaviors would get me that? I think because we live in such a time where we're afraid for people to experience any emotional dysregulation, that we don't allow them the pain of that gap. Like I try to protect you from the pain of that gap, but I I agree when you have jealousy or envy, you're really saying I want what they have. I'm going to criticize them for it or, you know, whatever the process might be, but I'm not allowing, I'm pushing it away. I'm rejecting it more through that energetic as opposed to being like, what are they embodying? Who are they being that I actually desire? I used to really envy people and judge people who had a high level of fitness that showed it off because I wanted it. You know, like, I'm like, oh, fuck them and their abs. And I'm like, oh, I want to cover myself in coconut oil and have some good abs. You know, but it, by rejecting it or shaming it and judging it, one, I'm not even letting, I'm like, who gives a shit what they're doing? But I'm like, I'm busy doing that instead of, you know, actually being on a treadmill or whatever the way I want to get into fitness. Yeah. I've reoriented how I've looked at quote unquote food restriction because what I started to see in my, I learned this from Ben Azadi who runs a program called Keto Camp. What's up, Ben? Uh, Ben's the best. And he said to me, like, instead of seeing what you're, what you're not eating as like restriction, it's choice. You're actually choosing this other thing, not because you're punishing yourself, but because you're rewarding yourself. And I was like, oh my God, it's so simple, but I've lived in the like, I can't have that. Now when a dessert is presented to me, I'm like, oh, now I'm good. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I look at my son and I go, oh, I'm going to be here for you. Like, I'm going to do my best at yeah. least, you know, barring any external circumstances. Will we put a bubble around that? What do you mean? <laughs> Meaning no circumstances will come near you that no will take you away from his life. No. Yeah. But yeah, that redirection of of taking the judgments, the things that you're saying and and actually using them as fuel. Well, because I realized that when I stepped into personal development, I was in this insatiable purge of Allison. That's a problem. That's a problem because I was spending all of my time, energy and devotion of my attention to fixing myself. That's overwhelming. I don't need to be fixed. I used to steal when I was younger. I don't steal today. But stealing was really about observation. 
it was really about utilizing my supernatural power to look all around my atmosphere and see, is anybody looking at me? If they're not looking at me, let me put this in my pocket and do this thing. Well, now I step on stages with thousands in the audience. I can use that same gift. My eyes can be on the 85th row, the 110th row, the 250th row, because I learned it in my days of theft. I don't need the habit of stealing anymore, but I do need the supernatural gift Mm. that I discovered while stealing. That's a game changer. But if you're constantly shunning who you were, I'll never be a thief again. You'll never look at what you revealed to yourself. If I say, I'll never be able to be called fat again, I'll never look at the supernatural gift. Girl, you can shape shift. You can become whatever you want. You originally, so powerful. like you originally used the superpower to harm yourself. But what if you use this superpower to heal yourself? It's a mega shift. What a massive shift that is to shape shift, to know that if you put it on for protection, which is really the pathology of for almost everyone, mm-hmm. that you can actually decide to take it off. I'm sure for people that's probably a confronting thought because it minimizes, it, the experience is that it minimizes uh, where they're at or what got them there or that's fat shaming or, you know, and how do you invite people to sit with that? Because I'm sure that's a response someone is having listening to this. Mm. Is that thought yours? Sit in the living room again. Who in your life would say to you, this thought that Allison is sharing is not for you? Because that is probably where you're receiving a lot of your intel about how you feel about yourself. My mother was a beautiful woman. However, she grew up in a time in her adulthood where Suzanne Summers, may she rest in peace, was coming out with the thigh master. Now she's coming out with the thigh master because she couldn't get equal pay. And so she's trying to create a different revenue stream for herself, but she's also very thin with a Hollywood body. And now my curvaceous raised in the South mom is trying to have the same body as Suzanne Summers. Well, that just was not going to happen. So then my mom is on the cabbage soup diet and my mom is thigh mastering, you know, 50 minutes a day. And I'm being raised in that. Right. I can't see the forest for the trees. And so I think that's the definition of being a woman, to be afraid of your body, to constantly want to fix it and reflect something out into the world that you are not. I took that on as a definition. I no longer share that definition. I love my body. I love my physique. I love how I reflect. But that wasn't always true. And quite honestly, I don't know what today is, but four days from now, I could feel some other way. That is the three-dimensional realm. Our consciousness has a spectrum. And some days we are on a side of the spectrum that feels really solid and really grounded and really beautiful. And other days there are lived experiences that are siphoning our energetics and it changes how we perceive reality. The conversation you and I are having is simply inviting humans to notice that. To notice the reality of the 3D. Yeah. But to not be consumed by it. Yeah. To not be drawn in. I mean, that's the dance, man. If you can, If you can be a witness to it, and look at, I love how you said to explore, is that my thought? 
whose voice is that? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's how beliefs become spread through communities. Through you know, I I often think of the shared belief when we're in something like a recession, that all of a sudden we're all like, oh, we're all in agreement and we're all going to shift our behavior and it's going to look like this and we all have to get scarce. And I think of the people in that moment who become expansive, they like clean up, you know, (laughs) and it's just as simple. Every time. Yeah. I was just listening to an old Neville Goddard audio and he was talking about wars, sickness, disease, and he was talking in present day, in like the 40s. And he's like, I understand that we're at war. I understand that, uh, you know, people are being murdered. Children are being slaughtered. I understand. And it sounded just like today. And what we must understand is that the global movement of disappointment will always be available for the cult of average. It will always be available. It's intense, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But in a in a good way, if we can sit with that truth. Mm-hmm. Like if we're willing to adopt the beliefs that keep people in the norm. I mean, that was the first part of sort of revolutionary thought that I had, that I participated in. I remember the first time I gave a talk, I said, not every relationship's meant to last forever. Oh my God, this guy in the front row almost fell off his chair. He was so mad at what I said. And I was like, well, are you still with your grade eight girlfriend? He's like, no, I'm like, well, I guess they're not all meant to last forever. But it's like that same revolutionary thought of like, we can either choose to participate in normal ways of thinking, believing and interacting, which if we're going to watch that and let it co-opt us, which doesn't, isn't the denial of it, the separation from it. But then that means we're going to operate in the same way in how we dialogue and how we make our way through life. Because, you know, if the template is war, if the template is pain, if the template is suffering, It's like, you're going to see it in your own life. And I don't know. I feel like that's the 3D dance. It's like, how do I see that that is true? And I I always just come back to that line from Maharaji, who was teaching Ram Dass, where he said, isn't it all perfect? And Ram Dass is like, fuck you. Well, he probably didn't say fuck you. He probably did. Actually, yeah, he might have. Yeah. But he was like, what do you mean it's perfect? Like people are dying. People are losing their vision. There's war. He's like, isn't it all perfect? Yeah, I mean, and Ram Dass was sitting there as a bisexual smoking a cigarette, doing the thing, you know, on psychedelics, like a a fully imperfect being. (laughs) He might have been on LSD in that moment. That's true. Seriously. And I, I believe that that's why a lot of humanity does not want to lean into making a living with their story, making a massive living with their story. Because they think I must refine my story. You know, I'm sitting here right now in one of my most amazing clients' merchandise, the unruly entrepreneur. And I love that she's a single mom. I love that she's newly divorced, two stigmas in society, right? right? Um, And two stigmas that say, oh, she must be struggling. Yeah. And yet I'm wearing her merchandise. Right. And I was sharing with you that I'm so happy for her because we just celebrated first her first ever $100,000 month. How did she do that? Her story. What was her story? She wanted to talk about love. And she simply just wanted to say, you can lead a business from love. 
She sold a digital product, made $100,000 in a month. It was so pleasurable for her to do that, that she decided to create something called the pleasure model. From that lived experience, right? So I want to do something I want to do, make $100,000 a month. Huh? Do people want to know how I did that? Let me make a new framework for that and name it the pleasure model. $100,000 in a day. Zing. That's pretty magical. And a lot of people would say, well, that's for her. What What did I just tell you about her? What made her so qualified? Oh, by the way, did I say that she has a GD? Like... This is where we are, that the average everyday human, even when I was thinking about what I wanted to wear today, I said, ah, do I want to put on something swaggy? No, I want to look like I am because I am an everyday human who decided who is qualified for extraordinary. Seems like it would be me because I've lived a pretty extraordinary story. If you take my mom was a single mom and you withdraw the stinger out of that. She bolstered me for strength out the gate, made me a strong communicator. I had to answer the phone properly. Take notes. My aunt was one of the first black female politicians to sit as a state representative in Texas. I was on her campaign at six and seven years old. Oh, that's so cool. Like making a difference. I was set up to win. By three years old, I was in speech competitions, winning against teenagers by three. By the time I was five, I had my first business selling penny candy for five cents. I had a markup. Oh, shit. Like, you had margin. Don't, yeah, don't that's play with me. <laughs> Everything around me was evidence for greatness. But all I could see at first was that we stood in line for cheese, that we were raised on government assistance, that I didn't have the shoes that other kids had, that I was chunky by the time I was in fifth grade because I was inappropriately touched at a young age and began to cover myself that I dropped out of high school by the time I was 15. I started to feel the condensation, the, the, the thickness, the density of those truths. And they covered me for a while. But by the time I was 22, someone invited me to a personal development seminar. And I sat in that room for four days and they said, you can be it all. You can do it all. You can have it all. And then they said, now that you're free, after four days, they called us free. (laughs) After four days. And we believed them. Yeah, shit, it's true. I'm free. Now that you're free, what will you give to the world from that freedom? Mm. At 22 years old, it started me on this path. I'm 46 now. So I live to tell the story. I'm not anything to be jealous of. I'm your evidence. That matters to me that I can be that devoted reflection of divinity that says, if I can do it, you can do it. And you can do it in your own way, in your good way, in your God way, in your own path of light and certainty. And I, that's why I love conversations like this, because they really do bring liberation and justice for all who will not only listen to it, but will hear it.
Yeah, hell yeah. Standing ovation. <laughs> I received for that. that sermon. <laughs> Allison Burge. I never know exactly what we're going to talk about, but this was the perfect conversation. And I so appreciate you. You've been such a great guide for me. And I absolutely just love the level of passion and curiosity you bring to life. But to everybody you're in company with, I think of um, that quote from Mother Teresa, to leave everybody better than you found them. And without a doubt, you do that. In And the experience of being one person in a room with you is the same experience as being one in a thousand in a room with you. And that just speaks to, uh, no wonder you won all those competitions at three. I'm like, shit, you've been practicing. Uh, at 46, you got this shit dialed. Um, <laughs> I love you. I love you. Thank you for coming on today. For people listening, where can they get more of Allison Bird? And we'll make sure we put all the links in the bio. And I believe you also have something for people. I do. I do. Because tapping into visibility is a big deal. A big deal. And a lot of humanity has inhibitions. Uh, statistics show that post-pandemic, um, we are seeing more humans dislike their physical reflection and attribute. And so I decided to be an answer for that. And anything that I bring as an offering to society is for a subset of people. So I will say that this is for the subset that says, I think I want to make a living with my story. I think I'm willing to be seen. And that scene isn't necessarily like I was recently on Tony Robbins stage. You don't have to go there. You don't have to be a Kardashian with paparazzi all around you. I don't want that. You could be like me in that living room with eight to 10 people. But that was pretty audacious to call up my girlfriends and say, I'm going to sit on a stool and everybody else is going to sit on the couch. Yeah. I'm going to establish some distinction. And I'm going to make about seven to 10 grand a weekend doing it. Holy wow. So if that's you, I have recorded these. I call them the magnetism codes. And it helps you tap into being visible on camera, loving the sound of your voice, and receiving that, bringing in more cash flow. And feeling safe to do that. So everything that I create now really anchors in the idea that your nervous system gets to be safe in receiving the successes that are inevitable for you. So that's a great freebie that we'll put there. I am a huge Instagram fan. I'm a huge YouTube fan. So if you talk to me on Instagram or YouTube, I answer, you know, all the time. And then um, I think that's a great way to reach me. I'm a lover. And I came in this world to meet people eye to eye, heart to heart, shoulder to shoulder. If I'm unreachable for you, it's because you didn't come to find me. <laughs> That's the Fair only enough. way. Call out, call out. Uh, so we'll put in the links for everything. Yeah. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I'm sure you did. And we accept the invitations that have been given. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.